If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke 13. That's in your app, your physical Bible that you have in your hand. Luke 13 will be in verses 18 to 19. As you look for your spot there, i got to say a couple of things. One, man, I'm grateful that we can do stuff like that. Send our women uh, to uh, such a retreat and a time for zero dollars. It says much about, I think, the spirit of who we are at Hickory Grove. To take some, an opportunity like that to say thank you to the women that we love and to send you on a, a, a little adventure uh, for a weekend, I'm grateful that we can do that. And I'm grateful for men uh, that can make that decision like that. And it moves me to tears. I really do. Uh, second thing is, in a more humorous note, Jody, girl, you can teach. I love your lessons. Is Oh, well, they <laughs> This sermon is much bigger in my head. <laughs> it's about to come out. Uh, as South Carolina, a friend of mine, when I was in seminary, good old, good old boy, big guy, about 6'2", every bit of 275 pounds, and he had a saying when a preacher could preach and when a teacher could teach, he'd say, sure could shuck that corn, couldn't he? Girl, you can shuck the corn. No doubt. If you have found your spot in Luke 13, will you please stand for the reading of Christ's Word? May you hear the Word of Christ this morning. Jesus said, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested, nested in its branches. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace to us on this beautiful Sunday morning that we can gather together as your people. And we need to pause and reflect on that, that you have called together a people in order to present who you are, in order to exhibit and show who you are on earth as in heaven. And so, Lord, as we gather closely around these two verses and other scriptures that you have for us this morning, may we be a people who ingest and really feast on your word. May you open our hearts and our minds to receive your word and let it plant richly into our hearts so that we might produce a hundredfold of your gospel wherever you have called us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin with a couple of quotes this morning. Quotes that I hope you find a little bit on the shocking end of, of receiving it. The first one says this. Lighthouses are more helpful than churches. Lighthouses are more helpful than churches. None other than Benjamin Franklin said that quote. Here's another one that hopefully shocks us. I like your Jesus, but I don't like your Christians because they're much, not much like your Jesus. That one comes from uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Once it comes to understanding these two quotes in light of what we're looking at of sustaining creation and culture for the month of May, I hope we begin to be convinced that sometimes these quotes are needed to be received with criticism. 
Did you hear me? That we need to hear these quotes and see them as criticism in order for us to refocus our eyes on what truly is valuable in our own lives as Christians, as the church, a people gathered around the cross. And so when we see these critiques, whether it's Benjamin Franklin, Gandhi, and I could have pulled another 10, 15, 20 other quotes, but they get to the heart of what we need to hear is that sometimes we need to be uh, retrospective on our life, look back, but also self-reflective on who we are as people who have devoted themselves to the following of Jesus and his ways. So sometimes we need to be convinced that criticism is good because it leads us in a direction that we need to be headed, a different direction that we need to be headed towards. Because when people look at the church today, I am convinced that they don't look at the church as a people who are producing sweet and satisfying fruit. They're more convinced that we're actually producing a lot of spoiled over-ripened fruit. And so we need to look in at ourselves and we need to look together at each other in order to reflect on who are we going to be and how can we get there. And so that is the heart of the questions that we're going to be examining this morning uh, as we look at Christ's Word more closely. So let's look at the, the verses that I just read. The opening one, verse 18 Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like and what can it be compared to? If there is one thing that you can find in Jesus' ministry again and again and again and again, it is this phrase, kingdom of God. Or other gospel writers might say kingdom of heaven. Regardless, it's the same word, the same phrase, the same meaning that he's getting out of it. That is the theme of Jesus' own ministry, the kingdom of God. And you can tell, if you want to see this in more detail, you can go back about three or four weeks on our podcast and see what kingdom itself reflected. It was very political as well as religious because to claim that Jesus was king was to make a very political statement, that there is no king higher than him. That's simply what it is, that he is the king of king, the Lord of lords. But it's also religious in its sense as well. That this is the God who has captured my heart and he has redeemed me and restored me to walk in his ways. So it is very big in scope because there is not one square inch of your life that is not meant to be devoted and concentrated towards this Jesus. Kingdom itself is also, it has a long lineage in the Old Testament and it goes back to David, the greatest king of Israel. It goes to Solomon, his son, who was one of the great wise leaders of Israel as well. And it, in the prophets, you find it wrapped up in this future king, this future Messiah who would restore not only Israel but also the world back to the Father. And so when we see this term, kingdom of God, Jesus is walking through village to village, town to town, city to city, speaking about it. He loves this phrase and he loves what it's about because he is trying to convince his hearers that the kingdom of God is coming in and through his own ministry in and through his own life death and resurrection and he is inviting everybody to surrender themselves to him as the true Davidic king the true king of kings we need to say a few things first 
before we talk about what it is, what the kingdom of God is, we need to talk about what it is not. Because there's a misperception of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven uh, nowadays. One is that it's only a future event and place when we think of it like heaven. Because when we hear kingdom of heaven, we think, oh, that's the place that the church is headed towards. It's only a future event. I'm going to clarify this in a minute. That it's not only a future place and event. That it's only something to expect. It's something in the future. Out there, eventually we're heading towards it. It's not only that. Other misconception is that it's only about life after death. That's it. Those three things can become a very big misconception of what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, what is it? It's not just future. It's both present and future. Because Jesus says this in Luke 17, 21. Nor will people say, oh, here it is. Here's the kingdom. Or there it is. There's the kingdom. Jesus says this. The kingdom of God is already among you. In and through his own ministry, the redemption that he's offering, the, the, the miracles he's producing, he is, what we say, inaugurating. He's opening it up into our everyday world through his own life. So, yes, it's already among you because he is the manifestation of the kingdom. He is the true king. So it's both present and future, but it's also both something to expect in the future, but it's also something to experience now. Not just something to expect, but something to experience now. And I think that Luke 17, 21 quote handles that as well. The kingdom of God is already among you. In other words, you can live in that kingdom at this time and this place. And it's not just both a future heaven... It is life after death. Yes, you will, if you have confessed that Christ is king, you will experience that future heaven, but it's also a present reality now. And again, that Luke 17, 21 quote gets to that, of how we can manifest the kingdom here and now, not just expect it the future, not just look at it about what we will one day experience, but to Feel it, experience it, enjoy it in our current lives. So the question is, Michael, why in the world does this matter? Why clarify these things? Why talk about what it is and why does that matter? Because here is how the kingdom is to be understood according to Jesus. And if I could give a definition of what the kingdom is, here it is. The kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's creation. Let me say it again. The kingdom, as it's understood in Scripture, is God's reign or rule through God's people, the church, over God's creation. So here is God reigning through us because of his life, death, and resurrection. He is reigning over his people in order for us to demonstrate and to show what the kingdom is like right here and right now and in the place that you are every single day. Every single day. The message that we carry, the good news, that gospel that we talk so much about from Sunday to Sunday, is about God's royal power. 
that is directed by God's own self-giving and self-sacrificial love. If you want to see what the kingdom is like, you look, a, you look at Jesus and it looks a whole lot like him. It is him reigning through Jesus, the Father reigning through Jesus, and demonstrating it through his self-giving and sacrificial love. And lastly, to be saved. We talk about this language all the time too, salvation and being saved. To be saved into God's kingdom is to embrace God's comprehensive rule over every aspect of your life. It is, in other words, to see the kingdom right in front of you. It's very difficult. I admit that. It's not easy, but we can see it. We just have to ask for eyes to be able to see how we can see God's kingdom in our very midst so that we can live into it, embrace it, and to be able to allow it to saturate every aspect of our lives. But notice what Jesus says in uh, verse 18 and 19. What is the kingdom of God like? What can it be compared to? Oh, it's like a mustard seed. But notice, look closely at this. Lean into what Jesus is saying here. He is connecting the kingdom to a mustard seed. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? Very, very tiny. In fact, if you hold it, it's so tiny that you can almost not see it. But you can feel it between your fingers. So you could say that the mustard seed is almost invisible to the naked eye. Very, very, very small. But at the same time, it's seemingly insignificant, isn't it? How in the world can something be produced from the itty-bitty, tiny, insignificant seed? It almost has a humble factor to it, doesn't it? That this very small, insignificant thing can actually produce something so great. As Jesus is going to say, a small tree, big enough for all the birds of the air to come and find their nest in it. But I hope you hear when he's talking about the mustard seed, he's actually talking about the kingdom. What shall the kingdom be compared to? It's like a mustard seed. The kingdom itself is invisible. When was the last time you touched the kingdom? You didn't. But it's real. It's there in our midst. It's God inaugurating it, opening it up to us. It's small in many ways. And it's insignificant in many ways. Because as we're walking through in our Sunday school lesson for this morning, that it comes in the smallest insignificant things, such as, I don't know, preparing a meal for your neighbor across the street. It's nothing glamorous. It's nothing exotic. It comes through very small acts in which God is demonstrating His reign through His people over His creation. So there's a great humble factor to it. Look at verse 19. Jesus continues on in His parable. The man came... He took and he sowed in his garden. Well, this is a parable. What you need to know about a, a parable, it is a story that has a point that's involved. Well, what's his point? Just about every single time that Jesus talks about a parable and a man is in, a, in the story, the man is none other than Jesus himself. Well, the seed that is sown. Jesus has a few other parables where he talks about the sower uh, is spreading the seed. This is... God's gospel. It is his good news announced and lived out. And it is his kingdom that is spreading forth. Well, what is the garden then? 
as he's talking about, spreading these seeds into the garden. The garden is none other than your everyday world. It's that tangible. And I love that Jesus takes time. He doesn't give us rich, deep theology that's very hard for our heads to comprehend. It's so simple as a mustard seed that a man took and he spread it everywhere into the garden. And notice what happens, though. In verse 19, it grew and became a tree and the birds of the sky rested in its branches. Well, what's growing? It's none other than the kingdom because of the spreading of the seed, the good news announced and lived. But what we need to pay attention to, and we really have to have Old Testament eyes on this, because Jesus is actually paraphrasing an old passage from Daniel. Daniel 4, verses 11 through 12. Let me read those to you. This is Daniel speaking to the king Nebuchadnezzar. The tree grew and became strong. This is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The tree grew and became strong. Its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Did you hear the retelling of this? And all Jesus does is just take a small little snippet of that in order to tell a bigger story. Now, in the original context that Daniel is speaking about uh, with this, uh, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, he's actually, Nebuchadnezzar is talking about his own kingdom through his dream. But Jesus doesn't take that route. Jesus adapts it and says, this is not Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. This is actually what my kingdom is going to look like. He adapts it to speak about his own growing kingdom. And notice the characteristics of this kingdom from these verses in Daniel. The top reached where? To the heavens. It's visible where? To the ends of the earth. Its leaves, beautiful. Its fruit, abundant. The beast of the field, those are the ones who found shade in it. In other words, they found rest. Or the birds of the air, they came to live in it. They build their nests. In other words, they too find home and rest. In all flesh, Daniel said, all human beings were fed. They were nurtured and nourished by this seemingly insignificant small seed that was planted. This is what the kingdom looks like. For Jesus, seemingly insignificant, small, very humble. And it is through this ministry that we find and captured by Jesus is that we are to live out it in such a way that we become the fruit that's abundant. We, the church, are the ones that are producing fruit. That the leaves, us, we ourselves are the beautiful factors that draw people in. Because the beast of the field, in other words, the people who are around us, they run to the church in order to find rest, ultimately to Christ, but we demonstrate his kingdom through our living. And it, all the birds of the field, they come and they find their rest, their home with the church, and ultimately with Christ. And lastly, all flesh fed, in other words, that we become a people that nurture and nourish other people. 
It's a small little parable like this that is packed full with goodness. And we could go on and look at how Galatians 6 actually plays a factor of this because Paul speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. Well, what's that fruit? You remember those nine? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you want to see what the kingdom's like, you look at us taking heed, paying closely to what the Spirit is doing in our lives in order for Him to produce fruit that other people then come around us in order to be nurtured and nourished. And we could even go to one other scripture. Remember what John said, well, this is Jesus speaking, but John recording that the world, the people around you will know that you are my disciples by what? Not your beliefs, even though that's important. Not your titles that you hold might be important. Not by who your family is, which might be important. What does Jesus say that the world will know you by what? Your love. And that Greek word, selfless, sacrificial, self-giving love. It is the love that looks a whole lot like Christ. And so when we look at this very question, this theme that we looked at in May is sustaining creation and sustaining culture. How in the world do we as a people, as a body of believers, demonstrate that the kingdom is alive and active in and through us? And how do we nurture and nourish and sustain the culture and the world around us? It's none other than when we mimic the ways of Jesus in his kingdom. Look for the small not the large, look for not the significant, but the insignificant ways in which you can demonstrate the humility and love of Christ this week. And you will see that the kingdom is erupting in and through you because God loves bringing about his kingdom through small and significant, humble ways, doesn't he? I mean, look at Jesus himself. What good can come from Galilee and Nazareth? Oh, the Son of God, the King of the world. What happens in the very birth of Christ? No room left at the inn. How about a stable? Jesus' ministry is wrapped around small, insignificant, and humble ways. Why do we think that the church should be any different? Why do we think that the, the kingdom of God should be any different? And so when we look at how we can demonstrate the kingdom, let me remind you of that definition, God's reign or rule through us, His people, and over God's place, it comes through small and significant, humble things, like a mustard seed that the man sowed in the field and it grew into a large tree and look and see what he says and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. I know you know plenty of people that need rest. So may you be the branches of Christ this week. May you demonstrate the humility and love and the joy and the peace and the patience. We could go through the fruit of Christ this week so that the birds of the air and the beasts of the field can be nurtured and nourished by your own love of Christ. What is the kingdom of God like? Like a mustard seed. Small, insignificant, very humble beginnings, but only Lord knows when he does his work in and through his people, 
it produces a fruit that all other people become nourished, sustained, where we become the fruit of Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for the reminder that it is not through our work. We love boasting about ourselves. It's not through our work that your kingdom comes, but it is through your reign, your rule, working through us. And so forgive us of the times, Jesus, where we love to take credence. We love to take the time and boast about what we did this week. Forgive us. May we lean into your goodness and your grace. May we lean into your mercy. And may we find joy in your kingdom. We might not be able to see it, but we know it reigns. We know that you are Lord over all things. You are King of all over all things. And so now, may we be your people who demonstrate your kingdom through small and significant ways. Let us feed those who are malnourished. May we be able to reach over our neighborhoods, across the street or down the road, to those who are hungry, not just for physical food, but spiritual food as well. And so open our eyes to the world around us because we know it's hurting and hungry. And so may we offer rest. May we offer remedy that is ultimately found in you. May these words sink in. May these words be a way in which we can demonstrate your goodness and your grace this week. We offer these things in your name. Amen.